Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. As we continue in our study, I want to jump right in um, because of of time and being able to get through this important passage. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Galatians chapter 3. Uh, get some context from verses 10 to 15 and then on down through verse 22. God's word says this, starting at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is, is be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteousness for the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, but the law is not is not of faith, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us through the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us, for it is written Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even uh, with a man-made covenant, uh, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Uh, It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant uh, previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. Uh, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels, uh, through the angels by an emitter. I can't say that word. Um, verse 20, now again, that same word, implies uh, more than one, God is one. Uh, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given uh, that God, that, that could give life, the right, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Uh, But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would teach us now and help us to understand what great things are going on in this passage that was meant to instruct the churches of Galatia, that they might know with confidence that they are saved and that they can walk in your spirit and not be concerned uh, with the dietary laws and with the issues of circumcision and that you're uh, mad at them or that you're not uh, gracious towards them. God, may we feel the same confidence that comes through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
I read a few verses we went over last week, and specifically uh, verse 10 of Galatians, and it goes on to talk, reiterate this. But for those who are under the law are under the curse. Um, and, and I think it's important, so much so that it's been pounded into us and will continue in this passage and a couple more in the ones to come. He's going to contrast coming uh, to God by faith and, or the idea of coming to God by the law. And uh, he makes clear to us that if you live by the law, last week we looked at, you got to do it all. You got to be perfect in it. Um, and because of the law, if you're living under the law, you're living under the curse, uh, under the judgment or um, uh, the, the idea of being condemned under the law, the law of God. And if we go to verse 15 and 16, and we will see, and we do see, um, this issue of the covenants coming forward, and we're going to talk about those today. But as you see this this morning, you're going to see that because the law came, it does not uh, shove aside the idea of faith, of believing in Jesus, that that is the core of what we do here. And it's not just the core of the New Testament faith. It was the core of the earliest time in the life of Abraham. And so... Uh, we will see this again. So let's dive into it. Uh, verse, verses 15 and 16, the covenants. First, verse 15, he talks about human covenants. He says this. He says, uh, verse 15, he says, to give you a human example, and, and this is an illustration. He's saying, I, I want to show you something that everybody knows. And when he says this word covenant, I want you to know that he's saying a word that is kind of a legal document. It's, it's used many times in, in a term of like a, a will of somewhere, a will and testament. This is, this is something written down so that everyone would know. It's a, it's a contract of sorts. And the idea of once it is made, it is acknowledged as this is what was agreed upon. And it was written down so that... We, those later could look at it again and go, oh, yeah, that's what was agreed upon. Um, and that's what he wants to say. He says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. And everyone would have known about this. We know about this. It's the idea of a court papers, if you will. It's the ones that are signed and ratified. It's not the, the first draft. It's not a rough draft. It is the final draft that's been approved. He says, just as... Uh, as no one can set aside or add a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. And, and the point here is this, that once that something has been written down, once that it has been approved, if you will, the courts approved it or the judge or the lawyers or the sides, once it's been approved, you can't just throw it away. You can't just say, oh, just kidding about that. Um, it's, it's something that has lasting effects. And, and what you have here is this direct promise that we would know one to another um, in, in the act of a will or something like that, a gifting of a person, something of, of benefit. It's this legal promise. And so now he uses that as human promises and covenants. Um, we see those as legal. Now I want to talk about God. 
And I, I want you to think about that. Um, we, uh, we, we love in, in our world, in the United States, we love legal documents. What are some of the legal documents that we love? Constitution. Thank you. I heard a bunch of you mumbling. It's great. Uh, it's Constitution. In fact, when um, it, it's, it's funny. I don't know if kids do this um, in, in other countries. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But in the United States, what do kids do on the playground when they're in elementary school? They say things. I have rights. I have rights. You say, you, you can't tell me what I can and can't say. I, I can speak whatever I want, right? And in Kern County, they go, you know, I can own a gun. You know, they, they, they talk about rights and documents and they, they get to those and they say, I know. That. And, and it's interesting. Many of us hold those things so dear that, that we say, this is special. This is something that I know can't be changed. I can hold on to this. That's what he's talking about. Verses 15 and 16. Uh, actually, verse 15. He, he's talking about we have ones that were written by humans. Human to human, over a group or as individuals, we know about that which is put into law. We know about that stamp that this has been approved. Which gets us to verse 16. And this, is, this also is talking about covenants. He describes human covenants and he says, you guys know about that. Now, now he goes to verse 16 and, and he's sharing with them now how it, pertains to relationship with God. Verse 16, now on, uh, on promises, uh, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. I look at this and I go, hmm, okay. Um, he, he seems to be going back to Abraham. And, and Paul writes in a similar tone to, in the book of Romans to the church at Rome. He keeps going back to Abraham and and we read already that for Abraham, it, you know, he believed in God. He put his faith in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was looking at his life, he gained righteousness because of God's promise to him and his response in faith. And now uh, he says again, verse 16, he says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed or offspring. And then he makes a point. And so when you think of your offspring, many times you would say this. When you think of those who come after you, you think of your children and then your grandchildren and those of you who are older, your great-grandchildren, the, the, the waves go out. And, and some of you have, have followed your ancestry and you look at that and you say, I come from this line, I, these are the family members and I go back this many generations and I know who my parents were, my grandparents and on and on and on. And I know that this is kind of where I came from. And so as you look at this particular uh, promise, the promise of God, spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and to his seed. Before I go on any further, I, I want to tell you there, there are, um, God makes promises like this in the Bible. Uh, he, 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 certain times to certain people, he makes significant promises, and there, there are many, there are many, um, but as we look at the scripture, uh, most people have dialed it down to four, five, six important promises that God makes. 
The first one being that which kind of went to um, Noah. You know, you remember that uh, the big flood, the big flood, and Noah built the ark. And as part of that, God promised to him, and he was saying, I'm going to save you. I'm going to take care of you, you and your family. As you get on that ark that you built, that I caused you to build, and I put you, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. As he talked to Noah and continued to, to um, share with him his promise to him, uh, he shared with him the, the value of people, the value of souls, and in that, that he would never again after this flood destroy the world by flood. We see the rainbow as a reminder of God's faithfulness to that and his promise to Noah. The second one is this, that we look at, at and this is where, we're, where we are today. This is where we are today in the book of Galatians, that he made a promise to Abraham. We looked at it, I think, last week in the book of Genesis where he said, Abraham, Abram at that time, he says, Abram, I'm going to take you and you're going to go to a place you don't know and you're going to follow me. And Abraham followed him. He trusted him. And that was part of his believing in faith and that he said that I'm going to take you to a land uh, and that through your family there will be a blessing, a, a, a blessing. Most people see the Abrahamic covenant as being one like this, land, seed, blessing. There's a land coming. There's your offspring that will be significant, that there will be a blessing through the offspring and then blessing being a blessing for you, but a blessing for all nations, all nations, which include where? So you're wondering, go the farthest one way, the farthest another way, right? It includes Israel, it includes Palestine, right? That those, and and, and I, want, I want you to get this, I want you to get this. Those who trust in Christ doesn't matter if they're from the most wicked city in the world. They are part of receiving a blessing that comes from following the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So the, you see the Abrahamic covenant. We'll come back to that. And then going on from there, we see the, the covenant with Moses uh, that he would uh, preserve a, as a special people for himself in the land, in the land. And even as you see these go on, there's a sense of, Growing details to the promises of God with every uh, generation and the next significant covenant. As you see that coming, there's kind of a reiteration and the idea that he's giving more um, color to his promises as the years go on. So you see he he promises to Moses, Mosaic covenant. And then uh, we see the promises covenant to David the promise to David that there would be through him there would be a royal throne through his seed and the Messiah would come through his people and you see that in the excitement of that as we see the the story come and then in the New Testament there's there's little inklings of it in the Old Testament the new the new covenant the culmination that Christ is the one for the church and and in the end for Israel as well. Back to our passage. Those are the, the major covenants, um, just so you know them in your mind as we look at this. 
as you look back to uh, the, the book of Galatians, that's what he's talking about, the promises of God. And I say promises of God. It's not that God just made a promise. It, it's this idea, this document. It's this idea of this legal. This is going to happen. I have promised. Um, promises are a big deal, right? Um, and, and when you, a lot of times you sign those, right? Why do you sign them? Why do you sign them? You're saying, I, I'm part of this, right? My name is underneath this. I agree with this. And if you can think of these promises as God saying, this is what I promise I signed at the bottom. And a promise is only as good as the one who made it. And God is saying, this is what's going to happen. And there's an interesting thing, too, that a lot of times little kids do this, not just little kids, but any age, adults as well. We make big statements, right? And it's not that we're not genuine. It's that we make big statements and we say, this is going to happen, but we can't accomplish it. And so I want you to think about this as you think about your God and as the promises of God roll out throughout history and in the scriptures, is that as God has promised, it will come about because the same God who created everything, the same God who has sustained everything, the same God who has showed us his plan in, in, in some form, that same God is able to do all that he uh, has desired. And so we know that he will uh, conclude his promises. We look back to Abraham, and let's look back at our, our passage. He first says, verse 15, human example, you know about covenants. Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, in different translations, it uses the word, um, sorry, it uses the word uh, seeds, yeah, seed and seeds. Uh, as you look at that, uh, he, when he's talking about that, I started saying this earlier, you say, oh, this is my family. These are my kids. These are my grandkids. This is part of my family. And when I talk about it, I say this is uh, my offspring, or in this passage, seed or seeds. And you can say that as a whole. You can circle them all up and you can say this is my offspring. But in this passage, he is referring to one, one of his offspring, of his many people that would come from him as this great nation. And I'm thankful as Paul wrote this, as God inspired Paul to write this, uh, he said, as I say, offspring, it does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ, who is Christ. And so as you see the, the promise of Abraham being a promise of God's blessing to Abraham, it's a, problem to, uh, a promise to his offspring as well, Christ, and how he is going to come. And so as you see the, the, promise, the, the promises of God laid out here, they are not just promises to everybody, but they're, they're promises to the person but they're also a promise of this will happen. And what will happen? Jesus will happen, the Christ. Even in this passage, it refers to him as Christ, meaning this. 
it's highlighting not just him as a person, his name Jesus, but it's highlighting what he will do, what he will do. And what he will do, he will be the Messiah, the Savior of all who will trust in him. You following? Good, good, because you're a smart group. You're a smart group. Uh, Which brings us to the law, verse 17. What I mean is this, and, and he's, he's laying out a case. He's already spoken of the law and how it's insufficient, and the law is putting us under the curse. It's not something that is bringing us salvation. Verse 17, uh, he says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Um, I, I think about this, and this is, this is hard for us to get. This is hard for us to get. I talked about it with the kids. I didn't mean to. It just started coming out, okay? Um, you, you know, uh, the pencil or the pen, right? The pencil of the pen or the pen. Uh, I remember um, when we were up in uh, Petaluma, we had little ones. We had um, uh, Sharpie markers and one of the kids got into him, and they did start tagging our house, tagging our house. And I remember a single guy hearing of this story, and he goes, why were you so dumb to have Sharpie markers and kids in the same room? And I thought to myself, what do you know about anything? You know? (laughs) I didn't say that. But anyways, um, the picture here is this, and and we we think in terms of this. You know, you, you have... You have documents that you save on your computer. And why do you save them? Well, to, so you can refer back to them. But, but there's this idea, too, where everything feels like a rough draft. Everything feels like, well, maybe I can improve that in the years to come. Maybe I could use that again. Maybe it's a letter that I want to add a paragraph to. Or, or maybe as I reread something years later, I go, no, nah, I didn't really think that. That's not exactly what it was. But what you get here is this idea that as God lays out the covenants, his promises, this is the truth. This is what I believe is true. It's ratified. It's not so much as did we both agree on it is that God says this is what is true. This is what I'm going to do. It's kind of one-sided, okay? This is what I'm going to do. And as we come to his, his promise or covenant, to Abraham, he says, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. This is, by the way, this is why we're so confident that God still has a place in his heart and his plan for Israel. Because God has said it to be true. We, we, we trust in his word. We don't understand every little detail of it, but we know this to be true. And so Abraham, he he gives this promise to Abraham and to his offspring. And what what he's saying is this. Now, where does the law come in? Well, the law comes in 430 years later. There's a a question of when he's dating from Abraham's life or from that point in time where he was called to move and to go. But somehow this works out as some point in Abraham's life and the promises now to the giving of the law, Mount Sinai, you have this 
this idea that many years later, and 430 years later, now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, When you find something that's old, is it good or bad? Probably the wrong group to ask this to, but anyways. If you find something to be old, let, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Your old car, your old car. Now, some of you are car collectors. Throw yourselves out, okay? But most of us who have an old car, we say, oh, I got to get a new car because that old beater isn't trustworthy anymore. Okay, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about cars right now. Uh, I, I, I need to get a new out with the old, in with the new, right? We always think, and think about computers too. If you have, uh, um, some of you say, well, I, I like old things. Great, great. Um, when I was in high school, uh, we, we got Apple computers. We, I remember when it came into our, our, our school. And I was, one semester I was typing on the IBM Selectric and the next semester, I was on the Apple something something. Okay, it was crazy. It was so exciting. I wasn't, I was like, on the IBM Selectric, I was 21 words per minute with five or so errors. And, uh, and then I went over the Apple. It was like, it was like 23, 23. I mean, it was amazing what I could do. And, but, but most of you don't have those Apple computers in your home anymore. You got rid of them. Why? Because they're ancient. They're old. What he's pointing out here is the law came 430 years later. And there's a tendency for people to say, oh, that's the updated version. That's the updated version. And so maybe I, I take the promise of God from Abraham And now we got the law given to Moses. Maybe the law kicks aside the promises of God. There's a new thing God is doing. He throws away the old, and the old being this, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Faith, faith, belief that he followed him not by works, not by works. Now, we come to the time of Moses and we, we see that Moses is receiving the law, Ten Commandments and others. And he says, oh, some, some might say, well, the, the law is a clearer picture of what God wants. It's rules that I can follow. Maybe the law crosses out the promises of God. And this is what Paul is getting to as he comes to the the issues of the covenant and the law, that it came 430 years later. That's a long time, by the way. It's hard for us to envision how, how much later that was. Verse 17, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void, Okay? When you make a will or a living trust, what does it say? And, and this document is more important than all the other ones you said before, right? There's some legal mumbo jumbo that sounds a lot better than I just said it right there. That's what a will would say. This one cancels out all the rest of them. And because the first one was perfect, as was the one to Noah, 
They don't cancel each other out as we go on, nor does the law given to Moses. And so um, he, he wants us to know this. The law is not set aside. The law does not set aside the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and, and this is so exciting the way it says this. I love it the way um, Paul words this here under the inspiration of God. Verse 18 uh, for if the inheritance comes by the law, does the inheritance come by the law? No, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. No one is righteous by the law. Uh, and now he says this, verse 18, for if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise or covenant by what God has already said, but God gave it uh, to Abraham by a promise, by a promise. He gave it to him. As we, as we hear this, uh, I, I want you to hear the, the beauty of it. Um, it. In other translations, it says, but God gave it in his grace, gave it to him through the promise. And what I want you to see here is this, that God was gracious to Abraham. Abraham was not this great man in a sense of like, he's already righteous. I'm gonna grab him and make him something great. Nor, I want you to get this, as you look through the scriptures, it is not that men and women are great and God chooses them on his team, but he takes normal sinners, normal sinners, and he graciously loves them and calls them and promises to them. And he calls them to himself that they might experience the goodness of God. One man, one writer said it this, this way, and I think it's important to remember this. Once gracious, speaking of God, once gracious, he is always gracious. Once gracious, he is always gracious. This is who he is. This is who he is. And we should rejoice at that. We should rejoice at that. We should walk in that. We should live in this. That God loves you and is gracious to you and his kindness should be that which gives you fuel in your tank to live for him each day. That's the difference between following the law and walking with Jesus. Which brings us to verse 19. Why then the law? And this is going to trickle into the following week when I, I talk about this. Um, why then the law? It, it was, and it says this, it was added because of transgression uh, until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Okay, if I think about it long enough, I can say it. Sound it out. Thank you. Um, Hooked on phonics worked for me. Um, as you think about this, I, I want you to get this. He, he says the law came 430 years later, and he even tells us why the law came. He's going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. It's, it's really uh, fascinating, exciting, and helpful uh, as you see the, the purpose of the law. Um, most of the time we look at the Ten Commandments and we say the Ten Commandments can make me right with God. I know what God wants and all I need to do is follow the rules and I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, and I think we've misunderstood and Galatians, Paul explains to us how we've misunderstood the law, okay? 
Uh, he, he says, why, I want to share with you why the law came. It came because of transgression or because of sin, because of sin. And, and this is hard for us to get. Um, in the garden, in the garden before Adam sinned, there was no sin. After Adam sinned, there was sin in the world and it touched everything. And, and you can say to yourself, well, how, how did they know they had sinned? Well, one of the reasons they knew is they were guilty. They were guilty, right? And they felt guilty. You know, it says that Adam and Eve sinned and, and they hid from God and they knew they were naked, right? And there was all this like self-conscious uh, weird guilt thing going on immediately. They didn't know exactly. They just knew that God had told them not to and they did. But they didn't know all the Ten Commandments, though they were breaking them every day after that, right? And so was everybody else. But these many years later, God gives the law, and he says it was added because of sin or because of transgression. And he says it was added until the offspring, offspring should come. Who's the offspring? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one that's to come, the good of the cross, the one that's going to fix. And, and so he starts, and he, get this, get this. You have Abrahamic covenant, 430 years later, you have the, the, the law, Ten Commandments and others. You have the law, and he says, how long is that good for? How long is that good for? Until the, the one comes, until the one comes. And, and we're, it's not that the law is no longer important, and it's not that it's temporary and it doesn't make any sense anymore. It does, but know this, that it had a, a, a temporary holding, if you will, this is what the law uh, was sharing. Uh, if you look at the end of verse 19, it says this, and it was put in place through, through angels by an inter intermediary. And, and that word, or it's really two things, and I'm not gonna go into these details, but you can think of it like this. By angels, by the work of God through angels to bring it to Moses, it's angels and Moses. He is the intermediary uh, he is the one. And so as they're connecting these and as Galatians looks back to the Old Testament, he says, Abraham, and then the angels worked in such a way that the law came down. It came to Moses. That's how they received the law. Okay? So uh, what you have here is this, that, that God had brought them this law to help them understand their sinfulness. And this law that came after these 430 years does not get rid of the promises of God. Verse 20. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. And it seems like a confusing verse, but what I believe it's communicating is this. There's angels, there's Moses, there's other people that had ideas and thoughts but there is only one God, only one God, a single source, both of the promises and the law. There is no, this is what we do all the time. Uh, we go to the internet, right? Uh, we want some information. We go to the internet and, and we look at different web pages or, or sources. And we look at one and we go, ah, oh, I don't like that one. Go to another source. Go to another source. We, we do that in, in, with 
businesses too. We go to one store and if we don't like you know, the service we get or the products they have, we go to another. And we think that we can just keep jumping around. But when it comes to the issues of being right with God, righteous, when it comes to the issues of knowing what God thinks and his law, is one source that God is one. He, he is the only source. And so there's this single point to which we come. Okay, so verse 21. Uh, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. Uh, he said this two or three times and he'll say it a few more times in the, the next sections. But what you want to do is this. When he says something like that, for the Jew, they would have said, I'm being good, uh, I, I'm following the law, so I'm right by God. And he says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And when you hear that, for, for those of us who, who want to be right with God and we think our good works are the way to do it, we want to hear that and go, no, I can't be good enough. I cannot be good enough. All, all the things that I try to do in myself, I can't be good enough. The only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus. It's the only way. And so as we hear this, Paul keeps bringing this up under the inspiration of God over and over again, that the law cannot impart life. And if it could, then righteousness certainly would have been done that way. And you think about that, and Paul writes about this in Romans as well, and it's so obvious. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why wasn't his message, why wasn't God's message to the world, just try harder, just try harder, right? Do the hacks of righteousness, right? Not the acts of righteousness, the hacks of righteousness. There's got to be an easier way, right? And you just do your best and try your best and, and you can become righteous. And if you aren't righteous, you're just not trying hard enough. But he says something very different. He says, trust in Jesus, believe in him, put your faith in him. And, and I want to tell you that if, if righteousness could come from works, people would do it. People would do it, but it can't. It can't. Jesus is the only way. Verse 22, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. What a picture, right? And, and, and as you think about that, as God has inspired both the condition of man and also the laws that he has offended, Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that there's no other way for salvation. There's no other way. It says it's been locked up. It's this idea of enchained, enslaved, if you will. Middle of verse 22. So that uh, what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. To those who believe. I want you to hear that last verse, verse 22. So that what was promised, and you can think of really all the promises, but specifically the Abrahamic, how can the nations be blessed but by the seed who is Jesus Christ be given through faith in him, Jesus Christ, that, we might, that might be given to those who believe. 
It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Let me give you four things in terms of uh, kind of solidifying this for us as we go through. The first thing is this, and I think it's important to remember this, that God is the original promise keeper. He is the original. Okay, we, we, we like to be people who are, our word is good, we're as good as our word, and our, we try to keep our, but when it comes to the, the idea of promise, promising and being a promise keeper, God is that one. He is the only one who's faithful and strong enough, and he, he can do it, and he will do it. And so as you look to the scripture, you can have faith and trust in him. Uh, even as Brandon was sharing through the Psalms, that that. This is what God's people do. They look to the past and they see both in the scripture and in their own lives, God being faithful and they know that if he is faithful in the rear view mirror, he can be faithful in the windshield as well. He is the original promise keeper. Number two, God is a God of grace in the New Testament and the Old Testament. He's a God of grace and and we should at this time say, hallelujah, praise God that he is because I couldn't make it if he was not a God of grace. I, I, I need him to be a God of grace. And I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not just making him up to be a God of grace. He is a God of grace. He is a God of grace. And so I can, I can trust in him. I can call to him. I, I don't have to run from him uh, because of my sins. I can run to him because he's a God of grace. Number three, the law, meaning the Old Testament law, or any other law, cannot give me life or attain righteousness for me. No, no law, no law, whether it be in the Old Testament or be some law that I've made up, cannot make me righteous. I cannot be good enough. I cannot be good enough to be righteous. It's important for us to remember that. And lastly, as is reiterated over and over again, almost every page, right? Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way. It's the only way. It's the only way. Let me pray for us, church. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And um, God, we looked at some historical things today and it's good for us to know that, that you worked in the life of Abraham. You worked in the life of Moses and I would say in the time of Abraham and the time of Moses and in the offspring of Abraham and in the offspring of Moses and, and David as well and the New Testament saints and the connection with the church and your son Jesus and, 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 and in our church today you're working and you're doing your work and you're effectively working out your promises, your promises to your people, your promises to the nations. You're working that out. And, and as we look to the future, God, we know we can trust you, both for our own soul and for the uh, concluding of your plan. God, uh, do your work. Help us to trust you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the only way. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.